date of recording, the 15th of September, 2021. Welcome to season three of Let's Talk Media with Vedant Bakari. For today's episode, we're talking about Dave Chappelle. And my guest for today is Mr. Justin Cooler. Hey, Mr. Cooler, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Vedant? I'm doing good. Uh, just It's just been a busy semester. I'm currently interning in Los Angeles right now. How are you doing? Same thing. School just started in August for us. And uh, things are crazy in Florida. So it's been an interesting uh, year. Just comparatively to last year, uh, with all the COVID precautions, you know, all of those have been pretty much stripped away. And so it's just been a just been an interesting first couple months, but it feels it feels sort of, you know, more back to normal, but you know, less in the sense that everyone's, you know, at each other's throats constantly. Yeah, it's been a tough time. I can imagine that. Um, so with that, do you just wanna quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Justin Cooler. I uh, I'm a teach TV production at the high school level in St. Augustine, Florida. I had the great pleasure of teaching Vedant in his formative years at high school. I produced um, a number of films and music videos in New York and New Orleans prior to teaching, and I still, you know, uh, moonlight as a professional photographer and videographer on the side when I'm not teaching and when it doesn't, isn't a conflict of interest with work. And so we briefly touched upon this at the beginning, but how has your production work been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Man, so, in, you know, in 2020, when it first hit, things were really like picking up for me. You know, we, me and my wife had just had our first child, um, you know, so I think, you know, it was like February-ish, um, he was six months old and I was, um, you know, I had stopped coaching to give myself more time to focus on the photography and video side. I had just shot a short film. I had shot a music video. I had a bunch of gigs lined up to just shoot with uh, a lot of bands. because I really enjoy um, doing video and photos for music. And then obviously, you know, 2020, when the pandemic really hit, you know, the whole world came to a stop. You know, it's just been slow and everything coming back has been really, really slow. You know, I think that um, Florida is uh, very much an outlier in, in how we approach, uh, you know, restrictions. Um, there are none. You're seeing like concerts begin again. Uh, or, you know, I mean, concerts have been going on for the last couple months. You know, there's really no limits on capacity. You know, you're seeing bars and restaurants bring back local musicians. And, and that's been going on for the last year, I'd say, you know, uh, maybe there was a little hesitancy at first. Um, but you know, there, everything's back at full capacity. And, and you're seeing a, a huge influx of people into Florida because of that. You know, on the other hand, I think you have um, a lot of businesses and musicians who are hesitant to take that sort of free reign and run with it out of a feeling of duty or service to their fans and, and the general public by by not holding these uh, large gatherings. I'll give you a, a good example was uh, Glass Animals, big band just played at the amphitheater. And so full capacity sold out show. But you know, three days before the show, they announced you had to have proof of a negative uh, COVID test or a vaccine um, to come into the show. And so that I think that you know, raise some eyebrows, but you know, they're not from Florida. And so 
I think they saw the numbers around here and decided, hey, you know, we're going to have an abundance of caution. So, you know, work's just, work's been picking back up, you know, a lot, a lot more weddings are popping up on the radar. Music's, music's been, um, coming back up. I just, I just, uh, shot a show for uh, a band that I loved when I was a teenager, uh, Hawthorne Heights, um, and a couple other, um, indie rock bands. And then right now in St. Augustine, we have seeing out loud festival, which is a three week long festival full of music. And so I have a couple things lined up to go out and shoot um in the next couple weeks so it's picking back up but it's just you know it's just been slow going and i think you know the market's very saturated with people who are just hungry to get back to work so it's just been uh challenging for an independent contractor right now yeah i was kind of in the same boat as a student where i was supposed to help out on a couple of gigs here and there in production and i was actually halfway done with filming one project for a class and we're going to come back after spring break and do the second half. And we put a lot of work into it, but then because of COVID, we had to scrap the entire thing and it it was terrible. It's a bummer. You know, I like, I have a really fun story. Okay. So I have, you know, uh, a woman that I've been collaborating with for the past two or three years is a artist named um, Jess Jezebel and uh, her name's Jessica, but she goes by Jezebel. She's a local Jacksonville musician, but she releases some like really, really cool, interesting, um, you know, like rock and country tunes. We had shot a music video and then uh, that music video just sort of like got released right before, you know, all the lockdowns happened. And so I feel like that music video release kind of was underwhelming because of of when it when it happened flash forward about a year i hadn't heard from her because she uh, was very concerned for her son and you know him getting sick and immunity issues and just you know i I think when you have a child it it sort of changes your perspective on things um, and how you kind of react to a global pandemic so then we went to shoot uh her second single called carnival and St. Augustine happened to be throwing their annual, you know, cathedral festival carnival. And I was like, you know, advantageous. Hey, let's go shoot. Let's go shoot at this carnival. You can't beat this kind of production value. We'll, we'll do a little run and gun shoot. We've been in the pandemic for almost a year at this point. And, you know, she's wearing a mask. Um, most of the people at the, I'd say, you know, 85% of people in the carnival aren't wearing a mask. Um, and it's just very Florida for you. And so you could just kind of tell, um, it took a lot of like comforting and, and sort of, you know, uh, cheating. I had to cheat the camera a lot to keep her away from people because she was nervous, right? Cause we're in this big open crowd setting. And so, um, it was just like a very unique situation. And you can imagine, you know, like all, you know, in Hollywood, them trying to do the same thing, you know, have these big sets of people where, you know, you've got the actors taking their masks off, other people keeping their masks off, and just trying to keep everyone from testing positive and keep keep the production rolling. I mean, there was that famous Tom Cruise thing where he just yeah. flew off the handle because people weren't following protocols and, and he's, you know, worried about the movie shutting down. I mean, even in school right now, we have students, you know, student athletes who specifically request to to stay away from other students so that they don't you know, get quarantined or, you know, sit near anyone who's going to test positive so that they can participate in their sport. Two years going in, you know, it's still a very unique situation. Definitely. And 
Would you mind me asking, what is it like to teach a television class uh, remotely? Would you mind answer, Would you mind getting into that? At the real, at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, I taught for two or three months, right? So the pan, you know, we went, Florida went into lockdowns in March, the school year ends in May. And so, you know, I had to shift gears and, um, you know, do a little bit more theory-based uh, lessons and conference with students and try to create unique projects for them to shoot at home. But following that year, you know, the end of 20, the end of the 2020 school year, May 2020, you know, we went back to school full force. Last year was masks, dividers, lots of quarantining, uh, lots of social distancing, all of that stuff all year. You know, it sort of slowed down towards the end of the year, but we never really lifted the mask requirement. And then this year, everything's gone. There's uh, recommendations, but no sure, you know, like straightforward um, rules, because right now we have a, a big argument with, you know, parents, anti-mask versus pro-mask. And there's just like a big dialogue going on between those two groups. Um, and the school board sort of caught in the middle and DeSantis is uh, threatening to pull funding from any school that does have a mask mandate. So that sort of ties the hands of, of any school official. It's just a, a very interesting situation. I just want to say to you, really any educator during this time is like, you know, thank you for teaching us during this time. Like it's very underappreciated thing. So thank you during the pandemic for teaching. Oh, you're no, you're it's uh, you know, I I think about all the people who like couldn't work or like, you know, chose not to work out of, you know, again, an abundance of ca caution, you know, maybe they have someone who's like immunocompromised at home, and they were scared to go back to work. And then you have people who just flat out couldn't work because restaurants, businesses are closed, you know, I, I you know, as people are getting laid off because businesses chose a very unique time to start um, trimming their staff. I, I never stopped working, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I got to a point where I was like, it's interesting. Like it was never like it was never on the table like, hey, you know, you you have to take a break from working for a little bit. And you know, you're not going to get paid. And uh, you're gonna have to go on unemployment. Like, that was never a factor for me. And so I both like, don't really bat an eye at it, you know, it's just sort of my job. But I kind of like, appreciate the continuous employment, because you know, again, like I, you know, I had a baby right before uh, the pandemic. And so, you know, being on unemployment, not being able to provide for my family would be uh, very problematic. I don't know, it was, it's, uh, it's a unique situation, but I've, I've had fun with it. I mean, I just feel like it's it, in the media, it's just been COVID, COVID, COVID pandemic for for so long, that uh, I think everyone's over it, you know, and even my students are like, can we can we just not do any COVID features this year? zero <laughs> you know can we can we pretend can we pretend like it doesn't exist for this year because we're just you know we're wiped out mm -hmm. i'd imagine and again thank you uh, for all you're doing like i know it's been hard for teachers and educators but thank you so much it's it's been different that's for sure i mean teaching was hard before you know <laughs> That's, I think I think everyone's jobs were really hard before. And then we just added a lot of like complications. And like, I like I used to work in a restaurant, right? I worked in a restaurant for a long time, um, managing, and I walk into restaurants now, and I see the guys behind the counter, 
the guys cooking food in the kitchen, wearing masks. And I just feel so sorry for them because working in a kitchen is hot and miserable. And just to sit there and like have to wear a mask uh, while you do that hot, miserable job just seems like, like just a special kind of torture. And so, you know, I just think everyone's got it uh, pretty, pretty tough, you know, it's, um, but I, but I appreciate it in any case. Definitely. And so uh, today's episode is about Dave Chappelle. And so I was wondering before we get into Dave Chappelle specifically, do you have any favorite comedians? Man, growing up, um, I listened to a lot of George Carlin, spend a lot of time listening to podcasts about stand up. Obviously, Dave Chappelle has always been, you know, top, top three. I got to see Dave uh, when he came on tour after his like long hiatus. So I want to say like 2016, I got to see him and he was like kind of on tour working out uh, his material for his first Netflix special. And so that was, that was really, really cool. Um, John Mulaney is another, you know, he's, he's just got such a interesting delivery, but yeah, George Carlin, I, I remember growing up, you know, as a kid, obviously he's, you know, a dirty, he is a dirty comic, but you know, has like very strong political viewpoints and uh, really just was like a, a master study of the English language and how, you know, over time the media and people have like perverted the English language to kind of fit whatever their agenda is. And I always love that about him. Um, you know, if you read some of his stuff and watch some of his specials from, you know, the 90s and the 80s, he's like a prophet, you know, and like the, all the things he talks about are going on now. Um, you know, when it comes to political correctness, and he called it nerfing the world, you know, where you're trying to make the world so safe that no one can get hurt. As a kid, you, it'd be it's really tough to watch stand up and get away with it with your parents, mm -hmm. you know, because they see them cursing on screen or whatever. Um, but you know, George Carlin had a bunch of books where he had adapted his comedy and wrote, you know, extraneous material. And so I remember having like three George Carlin books and I would just pour over them and read them and do his bits um, as a kid. And, you know, I got away with it because I was reading, you know, I was like, <laughs> the good stuff. Yep. Um, parents were not the wiser for that. I've watched some of George Carlin stuff. Uh, I watched his now famous monologue on the seven dirty words we saw it in class. Yep. That's a good one. And I'm more into like late night show hosts. Like I'm a huge fan of, say John Oliver and John Stewart, uh, Trevor Noah, that's, I'm more into like late night. And I'm just wondering, uh, have you ever watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on prime? Cause that's a show about standup. I have not. I've heard, I've heard good things, but I, but I haven't yet. There's just, you know, when you have a child, uh, your viewing uh, selection changes, you know, I can imagine <laughs> you have to, you have to be real. You, you don't have a lot of time. So you have to be real selective. Um, but I've heard I've heard amazing things about the marvelous Miss Maisel. You know another good one. Um, Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes had a show on HBO. I only think it went for one season, but it was produced one or two seasons. It was produced by Judd Apatow. Oh wow! It was called Crashing. Um, and so and that was sort of like uh, you know introspective to his life and his approach. You know his like beginning uh, in stand up and kind of where he came from. And that was a really interesting 
he's a unique comic and, and I thought that was a cool little story. Also, you know, funny people, Judd Apatow, Judd Apatow started as a comedian. And so he had, you know, funny people is kind of like his ode to, um, you know, uh, stand-up comedians and stand-up comedy. And that was, that was a really good movie kind of about that whole life. You know, you've got like Aziz, Aziz Ansari, uh, playing this like crazy, you know, sort of raunchy comedian. And then, um, you know, Adam Sandler playing the more straight laced guy is that was a, that was a really fun movie. I'll check it out. And so how were you introduced to Dave Chappelle? Chappelle show came out when I was in high school. So that ages me pretty well. Jackass, the sh- you know, the show Jackass, which I know isn't mm-hmm. stand up, but like those, that, that stuff came out in high school. And for me, you come to school and you just hear, it's like, did you watch the show last night? You know, South Park, South Park came out when I was in like middle school um, and, and like, you know, my first year of high school. And so, you know, those were the shows that we weren't supposed to be watching, but we're watching. And, you know, you'd have, uh, you know, kids doing Dave Chappelle show bits and just like, just cracking up, you know, like I'm Rick James and, and, and all, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff. I, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. I remember watching half baked, um, as a, as a high school kid, um, you know, Oh man, look at this, this stoner movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, parents are never gonna let me watch this. That's the perfect audience. Teenagers are the perfect audience for Half-Baked. I'll just say that. Yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, and if you watch it now, you know, it's, it's dated, but it's still, it's still pretty much spot on. And he talks about it, him and Neil Brennan talk about it a lot, how that movie, the way that movie came about, it was just sort of rushed. And so mm-hmm. there was things about it that they wish they had done differently because um, they just kind of like weren't, you know, self self admitted, like they weren't like prepared to shoot that that big of a movie, and then you know, and it's considered a flop, but it's got you know this crazy cult following, but it, it obviously didn't do very well at the box office. Um, but it, it's just so good. Like Jim Brewer is incredible in it. There's all you know, John Stewart has can you know they've got all these crazy comedians, Janine Garofalo, just like great cameos in it. Um, such a fun movie and it's like a farce, which, which I love. Um, but then, you know, they, those two worked together again and polished up and, you know, got Chappelle show together and kind of brought those same, that same cast of characters in for, for the sketch comedy show. And so Dave Chappelle has had a pretty, a lot of variation in the stuff that he's done. Um, like he studied theater arts at the Duke Ellington school of the arts. And then he did a couple of movies here and there, and he was actually going to, I think he was offered the role of uh, Baba and Forrest Gum, but he turned it down. Then he was in You've Got Mail, that Tom Hanks film. So yeah, he's had an interesting life. And so I was wondering, what surprised you the most about Chappelle, like from what he's done? I, you know, I when I read that the Bubba Gum thing, I was I was pretty surprised by that. I've really, I, I've honestly like followed his career pretty closely, and like when he left comedy, it was a dark day. You know, like when, when Chappelle show season three didn't come out and, you know, he was just like gone. I sort of stopped paying attention to comedy for quite some time. Like I used to like listen to comedians, you know, like I, I you know, I also love like Louis CK and like Louis CK show uh, was, was really good and sort of followed like his life and him as a comedian as well. 
it's just weird. You know, it's just kind of this, he left this vacuum when, when he left comedy and he's like come back. So, 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 so strong. And you can just tell, like you can, when you listen to him talk and uh, you know, hear his stories, he, he was built for stand up. Like he's so like his, his show is like so revolutionary and so funny. It's not the first sketch comedy show, but his unique style, you know, was just made it so perfect. You know, there, there's been a ton of different sketch comedy shows, but you know, he talks about how he got robbed, you know, like after he left, there's all these uh, different sketch comedy shows that all of a sudden just sort of popped up on comedy central after Dave Chappelle left. And it's sort of the same type of format, you know, taking, you know, sort of a stand up basis for jokes and creating skits he left a, he left a vacuum and it was, it was really sad, I think. And then, but like now that he's back and doing stand up again, I think everything is, is right with the world. I think so too. And yeah. I can imagine that power vacuum just happening out of nowhere because he walked away from a $50 million deal to continue the Chappelle show. And so I guess my question is, so what separates Chappelle from like the other comedians that you see these days? a big part of stand-up comedy is like finding your voice and going through growing pains and finding your delivery. Um, he, he just has such a unique view of the world and he's, uh, especially now more than ever, he's, he's unapologetic, which, which is really important. I think in comedy, you're making jokes, right? Mm -hmm. You're, 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 you're making jokes. And if your joke is immediately followed by an apology, it takes the the bite out of the joke. It takes the, you know, the surprise element out of the joke. If you have to go, I'm kidding right after because you're you're scared to hurt someone's feelings or you're scared that, you know, someone will be insulted. But they're, you know, they're standing on a stage delivering jokes for that purpose. And it, he just does it better than anyone. But it's it's so different. And like I think what's intriguing to me about Dave Chappelle is that, you know, he has a perspective that I will I will never have. You know, I'm a I'm a a white male who grew up in Florida. I have deaf parents, so I have a unique perspective that not many other people have. I don't know if you know Moshe Kasher. I don't. Moshe Kasher is a famous stand-up comedian as well, um, out in LA, and he's got a deaf mother, and so he very, like touches on his deaf mother and his comedy a lot, and that's like a unique experience that he has. Um, you know, and Dave Chappelle. A black guy grew up in Washington, D.C. He's just got a different outlook. He's got a different view of the world that, you know, I can never um, I can never have just based on my background, where I'm at in the world. I can I can never understand, uh, you know, like what he's gone through and how he sees the world. But that's what he that his job and what he does is he lets us in on how he sees the world and he lets us in on like what it's like to be a person like him living in this world. That's like the magic of comedy is, is like, you know, I, you see something one way, I see it this way. And, you know, maybe it's an intriguing way. Maybe it's a funny way. You know, that's why Seinfeld was so, you know, Seinfeld just pointed out the things that are crazy with the world. And he just, his delivery is, is great, you know, it's, but it's very straightforward. And like, how, how crazy is it that we just all do this? you know, and just kind of observational uh, humor in that way. But Dave Chappelle's just, he's just, he pulls no punches and his view is just, it's so unique, I think.
to me. I think I think so too. And I definitely agree with that because uh, I remember Sticks and Stones. Have you watched Sticks and Stones on Netflix? I have, yeah. So with that stand-up special, the audiences loved it, but the critics hated it allegedly. And there are allegations that the critics weren't allowed to say they liked Dave Chappelle because they didn't want the PC culture to come after them. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, I didn't read too much into that. I know that, you know, he was sort of embroiled in controversy for his jokes on um, transgender people. And again, you know, he has opinions on like, he has uh, he has jokes about the transgender community set in front of a live audience for a comedy show and people got offended. And I think you're right. You know, like I, I think, you know, if a critic says this is the best stand up special he's ever done, they're essentially, you know, applauding uh, what what could essentially be said is like insulting, you know, an entire community. Um, but I think that's, that's what, you know, when you police comedy, you take the, the heart out of it. I was thinking about it earlier, you know, when I was kind of reading through your outline, you know, if you are a victim of domestic violence, right, for example, that upsets you. The idea of domestic violence, like you're a victim, or you know, someone who's been, you know, uh, victimized by them, like that, that bothers you, right? Domestic violence bothers you. So, you know, if you're watching a movie, a fictionalized movie, and you see domestic violence, uh, it's going to bother you, right? And so the way they treat that scenario in the film is really going to largely impact how you feel about the film. And if the film doesn't treat it with like the sensitivity and care that you have in your heart for how, you know, how that situation that, you know, happened to you, you're going to hate the movie. And you're going to, even though it's a fiction, right? Even though it's, it's a made up movie, the way they treated the issue of domestic violence wasn't to your liking. And so you feel um, insulted by it or offended by it. And then, you know, you take that the next level up to a, a comedy special where you have a guy on stage making jokes about domestic violence. And so again, you're in that audience, you're watching that special. If you don't have the right mindset and like the, you know, if you're not thinking about the fact that you're at a comedy show, this guy's talking about something terrible and trying to make light of it and trying to make, you know, to point out the absurdity of domestic violence, but you're taking it as this is insulting. This is, this is offensive to me. And so, you know, I think that those issues that Dave Chappelle touches on are close to people's hearts, mm -hmm. racism, uh, the transgender community, all these different little things are, are, you know, they're just really close to people's hearts. And if, if you're not paying attention to the subtlety, to the absurdity, to how he's framing it, it's really easy to be insulted. It's really easy to, to get insulted by a comedian if you're not in the right mindset. PC culture uh, has no place in comedy. Like if you're watching a comedy special and you're a, being a PC policeman, uh, you're not going to enjoy yourself, you know? And I think the point is to kind of let loose and pay attention to the subtlety and the absurdities. Obviously, if someone takes a Dave Chappelle joke and says it in the boardroom at a company, that's not the appropriate venue for it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's, that joke may not land as well as it did when Dave Chappelle did it on stage. And that's, and you know, it depends on the person saying the joke as well. 
but at the end of the day, like it's, it's a fiction, right? They're, they're taking, uh, they're, they're making an observation or they're taking something from their life or something and they're either fictionalizing it or making it more grand or more ridiculous than it actually was. And to, to, to bring us joy and like, especially, you know, in the sense of like something like domestic violence, like someone who's experienced that maybe they need, you know, like a, a good laugh, you know, is, is good for you. But it, it's hard to touch on those topics without making someone sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, my parents are deaf. If someone was just up there making fun of deaf people and deaf people stereotypes, and it came from a place where they didn't, you know, they have no experience with deaf people, right? They're just, they just saw a deaf person on the side of the road. They're making fun of their voice. They're making fun of their mannerisms. That would be insulting to me because it's not coming from a place of love. It's not coming from a place of understanding, like, I've, you know, whereas, like I said, Moshe Kasher, he makes fun of his mom and his experiences with his mom, because it, it's just like, that's what made him laugh growing up. And that's, it's part of his experience. And, and he, you know, can, can speak on that with like, love and, and like an understanding. Whereas like, if someone else did it, I don't know how I'd feel, you know, because when you're close to something, it's easier to be hurt by it. It's easier to be insulted by it. I definitely agree that Dave Chappelle talks about a lot of issues that are close to people's hearts. And I've heard this analogy from, I think it was YouTuber Jeremy Johns, where stand-up comedians are like Icarus flying towards the sun, you know, trying to get as close as possible without getting burned. But the problem today is that the sun is a lot bigger, so you can't go as close as you could before. But Dave Chappelle, he just got stronger wings and went for it. Would you agree with that? I, I would, I would. I mean, one of the things, one of his biggest things is no phones at shows. The reason is, is because I could take a snippet of, uh, you know, two sec, you know, 20 seconds of his act and just, just the, the punchline to a bit about racism, a bit about, you know, Black Lives Matter or something like that. And you completely spin it out of context, right? Like that's what they did with when Dave Chappelle was on SNL when Trump won the election. They painted him as a Trump supporter because he said, we should give him a chance, mm-hmm. right? We should give him a chance because we'd like to be given a chance. And so he was painted as a Trump supporter because they took a quote and they put it out of context. They didn't put it in the contextualization of his 16 minute monologue that he did at SNL. And so by not allowing phones in his shows, uh, he's become you know the gatekeeper of his content. And so he'll only release his content when it's been vetted and he can watch through it and make sure that his joke lands in the right place. You know, it ran, it lands on the side of this is funny. This is an observation that I think a lot of other people will have. And, you know, it doesn't come from a place of hate or hurt. It's just, I'm just trying to bring joy to people. And that's, I think that's the part that's lost is that, you know, people, you know, will like watch these stand-up specials and they're just like, I am so, I can't believe they would have said this. It's like, they are doing this as a living. Like they're, they're, they're trying to tell jokes to make people happy. And so many jokes have been said at this point in our lifetime that they got to go like Icarus, you know, yeah, they have to go farther and harder and darker and get more touchy because, you know, all these jokes have almost already been said. They have to be more new, more unique. And, you know, Tosh, Daniel Tosh too, you know, he's another one who's just like, unrelentingly like savage when it comes to how he like the types of topics he touches on and and 
you know, he's backtracked once or twice on his jokes. And then he realized like, this is hurting me, you know, like I'm a comedian, I'm a professional and I'm doing this for a joke. I don't believe in these things. And so it's, it is, it is hard. It is hard in today's society to watch someone say something that, you know, might sound like ill will towards a certain community, but they're, they're just trying to get you to think, or they're trying to get a, a reaction out of you. They live a dangerous life. They do. And lots of, lots of scrutiny. And I, I think another reason why Chappelle works because it's, it's kind of like South Park where yes, he's saying all these shocking jokes, but it works because he's making a point out of the shocking humor. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. There's a whole season of South Park based around the PC principle, mm-hmm. the p- politically co- correct principle. South Park is always known as being like very fringe and, you know, dealing with all these like crazy subjects. And, you know, they had their own character in the show, uh, you know, being a uh, quote unquote Karen and policing the content of the show and it's very a very unique way to approach it i mean they've always been way out there in their social and political commentary but you know they always make a point i mean one of like the craziest episodes of south park i think i've ever watched was the one about gun violence gun violence at schools specifically you know and they drive home this point where it's just like oh there's another school shooting oh there's you know like every you know like every three minutes in the show there's another school shooting the 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 commentary there is you know, at what point does, does this does this thing become so commonplace that we just see it in the news and scroll past it and don't think anything of it? We are at the point where a school shooting is happening every week, every other day, and we are just not even batting an eyelash at it. And it's it's really sad. That commentary comes across so good, but also in the painful way that they do it, where they're portraying a school shooting on the show. It's sort of sadistic, but you know, it's also a cartoon. So, you, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, but it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very hardcore way to prove a point, but they did it, you know, they did it. It's, yeah, they did it. It's uncomfortable for everyone watching. And I think that's another part of comedy that, that kind of goes un unnoticed, you know, or like, you know, it's like, it's sometimes it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable because that's how the comedian feels about the subject. Watching the, the one that um, Dave Chappelle did on George Floyd, it's uncomfortable. It's almost not even stand-up. He's, you know, he's just talking about how it makes him feel and how terrible the situation is, and that's it, part of it. It's like it's having that uncomfortable conversation. I don't know. It's, they, there's, they, are, uh, they are very special people. Again, I, I can't even begin like George Carlin. I'm telling you, Vedant, you got to go, go back and watch some old specials and, and read some of his books. He is a master of, of just like seeing the future. <laughs> he, talk, <laughs> he talks about all this kind of stuff, you know, like all the, you know, sugar, sugar coating the world. I'll definitely check him out, uh, George Carlin. And I also watched that shooter episode with of South Park a couple of years ago, and it was very hard to watch. I will admit that. Um, I mean. It- I mean, from your from your perspective as a student, that's coming off of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Right. You were in my class when we had to have a very uncomfortable conversation about what we're going to do when we have an active assailant. As a teacher, I have to do that once a month now. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's my commonplace now is having a conversation with students on a regular basis about 
active shooters and what we're going to do and how we're going to deal with it. Um, and it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, you know, it's like, that's, it's like our reality is that we are constantly in fear of potentially someone coming in and, and shooting up the school, you know, and that, that episode hits it right on the head, you know, and it's like, it makes you laugh. And then in that same moment, you look inward at yourself and it's like, should I be laughing at this? Is this funny? The social commentary level is, is very high. <laughs> you know, yes. And dark. And they, you know, again, they, they, South Park pushes and pushes and pushes the boundaries of what is a, appropriate because they've been doing it for so long. They have to, you know, they can't go back to doing, you know, fart, fart jokes and, probes coming out of Cartman, you know, they can't do those silly little bits anymore. They have to, you know, they've, they've pushed it so far with the social commentary that that's where they have to live now, but they do yeah. such, such a great job. Definitely. And that's what I really appreciate about comedians like Dave Chappelle is like we mentioned, he doesn't like hold back any punches. He goes for the serious issues, but he handles it with just the correct contacts and subtlety that it just works. And I think yeah. that's what we lost it's a balancing act. I don't think people really realize, you know, unless, unless you're a, a big fan of stand up and, and you listen to these guys talk, but they, you know, they'll have a joke in their head and they'll work on it. You know, they'll, they'll go in front of a crowd and they'll work the joke out, you know, and depending on what type of comedian it is, like maybe it's a, a one-liner, but, or maybe like there's like a whole story to build to the bit, you know, Norm Macdonald, uh, passed away a couple days ago and I was watching some of his old, some of his old comedy bits and he has just such a, like a unique style. Uh, it's very, um, sort of stone face straight man style and, uh, very absurd. And he has this like four minute bit about a moth on uh, Conan O'Brien. It's really worth a watch. It's re it's really funny. Check but, it out. <laughs> but you know, like they work that out, you know, they like, they take that bit and they, they work it and they work it and they work it until it's perfect. And, you know, sometimes they get booed out of a room because, you know, they haven't finessed it to where it's like perfect. And it, and it does hit all those right notes. It's not, it's not, it's both upsetting and funny and, and you see the realism in it, but the, the farce as well. Mm -hmm. It does take a lot of work and practice because Dave Chappelle, he was actually booed off of a stage, I think during his earlier years, it just takes practice. Oh, he's, he's been booed a couple of times. Oh yeah. I, and he, he's actually, uh, he's got some stories. If you ever listen to, um, I think he's on Joe Rogan, uh, on his podcast and there's a couple of interviews he's done, but, uh, he, uh, has this like really famous, uh, set that he did where he got booed and he stayed on stage for like an hour while getting booed and just took it and just kept, you know, kept, uh, I think he might've been under the influence. I think he said he may have smoked pot with uh, the Wu-Tang clan or something like that. He just took, took a beating from the audience and, but like did not cut his sh sh uh, show short. He, uh, he just went for it and, you know, it takes courage. The whole, the, the, to get in, up in front of a bunch of people and say things that makes them happy or makes them laugh or makes them think like that's, that's a skill that not many people have. And so I think we're approaching the end of the podcast here. So are there like any 
final comments you want to mention, like either Dave Chappelle or like the PC culture we live in or just any other comedians that you want to recommend? No, well, I don't want to get in trouble. So I probably already said too much. Um, well, you know, it's like, you know, like I work in a school, right? I work, mm-hmm. I work in a high school and I think you probably remember some moments where, you know, it's like I produce a public high school news show. Yeah. And so I literally am the PC police because my audience, our audience, even though they could accept you know, a little bit of dark humor or things like that. Um, it would be inappropriate for a public school class to be producing content that is slightly controversial or, um, you know, touches on some of these subjects that are a little bit uh, on the taboo side. And so, you know, I find myself both trying to foster creativity in students to push boundaries, but also like, hey, you know, be careful. You know, it's like, I want you to do this and push this boundary, but. I might not be able to show this because this is inappropriate in a public school setting. And so it's, it's hard, it's hard towing that line, you know, especially now, you know, there, we have so many, uh, so much sort of division in politics and the way people feel about things. You know, it's like, uh, if a student wanted to do a package on, um, you know, a news package on, on to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, I would probably just talk them out of it. Because to to handle that, you have to get, you know, an even number of people who support mask wearing and people who don't support mask wearing, you know, scientific articles um, from both sides, you know, it's just like, at the end of the day, there's just so much, it's so laden with opinions that you're just like, it doesn't feel like a, a useful dialogue, you know, you're not having you're not having a debate, you're having an argument. Um, you know, you're not thinking about the facts, you're just thinking about how you feel that's a big thing, you know, like in, in general is is people are uh, concerned with how they feel and not what, what the facts of the matter are. And so it's just, you know, I live in this place where I really want these kids to like hit these hot button issues, but then we also have to kind of pull back and say, well, we, we really can't deal with, uh, you know, abortion laws in Texas because that isn't a subject that is, you know, appropriate for a high school. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, in, in college, obviously, like that's something that you guys, I mean, you guys are, are preparing to enter the workforce as journalists. And so those are the types of subjects you can handle, um, you know, in high school, with the scrutiny of the public eye, parents with, you know, from all kinds of different backgrounds. It's just not something that, you know, we can, we can talk about. And so I, you know, I really, I really struggle with it, because I, you know, I, I feel a certain way about I like, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel like I'm a very empathetic person. You know, I can, I can feel people's feelings. You know, I've seen, I've seen, you know, students from, you know, the LGBTQ plus community get bullied. Um, and so, you know, it's like, I support them and I don't, you know, want to see them get hurt. I, I had a lot of students who were very vocal about Black Lives Matter. And then there's also, you know, Republican students who are arguing about those issues last year in general felt very like volatile it did and uh you know the show as you remember it became very tame it felt like treading dangerous water to uh let someone like to even do like an election package that same division you saw in the country in the school you know and so that's the line you know and i had i had group i had kids who wanted to do like a funny uh they wanted to do a funny version of the debate 
Mm-hmm. Right. So they wanted to make fun of Biden and how old he is. They wanted to make fun of Trump and all of his bluster. And, and I was like, okay, you can go for it, but you have to be even. You have to make fun of them evenly. And then, you know, at the end of the project, you could see that they obviously supported one candidate more than the other. You right. know, one candidate was bullied more. They made hard, they made more fun of them. And I couldn't air it, you know, because you're picking a side and, and by putting it on the show, you're making us pick a side. And so I, I just feel like this arbiter of political correctness and I'm, I hate to do it, you know, and I, you know, it's like this conversation is really, you know, it makes me think about how I approach it at school and how I wish we could be a little bit more brave because I think that when the gloves come off, you have a more honest discussion. When your guard is up and you're trying to have a conversation about something, you know, you're coming at it from, you know, a place of defense and you're not being open and you're not thinking about, oh, well, this is how this person feels about this. Yeah. Um, And I was a producer for that high school news show for like two years. And I I remember for 2016, we were able to do a package about who you're voting for, Clinton or Trump or whoever. But I don't think that's ever going to, that's going to happen today. Like you mentioned, because we're so divided as a people. In our current climate, you know, we have, we have people getting thrown out of the school board meeting uh, for heckling pro-mask mm-hmm. parents. So some parents are you know, lobbying to have a mask mandate in schools. Other parents are lobbying, no masks. You can't take away my rights, that sort of thing. I personally don't care what side of the coin you fall on, but when you, when you yell at someone during a meeting, when it's their time to speak, you obviously um, don't care about their opinion or you like, you're not, you're not being open. You're not being thoughtful. You don't care about what they have to say and how they um, where they're coming from. You know, they, again, they might have like an immunocompromised child at home or going to the school. Um, They might not be able to afford uh, private school or or daycare. You you don't know their situation. And when you heckle them, uh, you're not letting them, you're not letting them get that word out. And so, that's the climate where we live in. Those are the parents of the students I teach. And so, and they're, they're fighting at the district office. And so when it comes down to what I'm going to do in the school, yeah, I'm going to keep it real tame. I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it really mellow. It, it's not worth the headache to uh, have, have them call me, uh, you know, a, a CNN disciple or a Fox news uh, pundit, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have our show, our, our tiny little school news show be a, uh, um, you know, be on the, on the news for the wrong thing. You know, we were on the news for the right thing a couple of years ago when we reported on Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, but that's touchy. Cause like, even then when we were dealing with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the larger conversation is gun rights, mm-hmm. you know, like you can approach it with the this is a terrible thing that happened. Let's get some insight onto why this terrible thing happened. But at the end of the day, people want to turn it into a gun rights talk. And, and we can't handle that at the high school level. Definitely not at a public school level. It's been, a, it's been an interesting couple of years to teach a media class because the media has been just so sensational and so, uh, so all over the place. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to um, pick a lane. I feel I feel very I feel very overwhelmed most days by 
what you see or what you hear in, in the news. It's a lot to take in. Absolutely. And so, Mr. Cooler, do you have any other final comments or anything else? No, I miss having you in class, Vedant. There's a new crop of kids, but there's only one Vedant Akari. Akari. Akari, sorry. It's been, <laughs> it's been a long time. You're good. You're good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this episode of Let's Talk Media with Vedant Akari, especially for the season premiere. I really appreciate it. Of course, man.